Y'all have your Bibles? I hope that you do, and you'll follow along with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 12. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. So I hope that you have your Bible. We're continuing a series of messages that we've been looking at, and it's uh, discovering the real Jesus. We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark together, and that's where we're at together today. And so I encourage you to find your Bible and open it with me to Mark's Gospel and chapter number 12. Jesus is now moving, and there's, in this text we see the movement is the, into the last week of Jesus' life. And so it is probably, it's, it's, it is um, certainly, it is the last week of Jesus' life, most likely Tuesday of Holy Week. Just a couple of days before has been the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's recorded in Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses. Jesus is riding on a foal of a donkey, and they have laid their garments on the road and waved palm branches, and they're singing and shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. It's the coming of the kingdom of David. And they're celebrating the anticipation expectancy among the crowd as he makes his way from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. As Jesus comes into the city, he looks around and observes, and then the next day he comes back to Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree, and this fig tree is in full leaf, saying that it should have fruit. But when he goes and examines through the leaves, he finds no fruit but only leaves. You see, it was a hypocrite tree. It said it had fruit, but only leaves. It was a profession without possession. They confessed Yahweh as Lord, but there was no spiritual fruit of the lead, in the leadership of Israel. And so, that fig tree dries up from its root. He comes into the temple area and he sees where the people ought to be, a place of prayer and worship. But money changers are exchanging money at an exchange rate for temple coins. And Jesus had cleansed that temple before and he does it again and he turns over their tables and casts them out and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you You've made it a den of thieves. Wow. He's teaching with authority on the kingdom of God and righteousness and calling men to repent and believe the good news. And the chief priests and the scribes hated him. They hated Jesus. And they were seeking a way to destroy him. As he's walking about the temple on that Tuesday, they confront, the religious leaders confront him with a question, trying to trick him. And he said, they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do what you're doing? And Jesus responds to them in a way that's a little bit humorous, but confrontational. 
Folks, did you understand that we don't want anyone in authority over us? Are you all awake? As a matter of fact, that's part of our sin nature, is we don't want somebody else to have authority over us, somebody else to tell us what to do. This week, unexpectedly, my oldest son and his three children, my grandchildren, were at our house for a couple of days. The fallen Adamic nature has infected them. <laughs> They're resistant to authority. They want to do what they want to do. I remember when my oldest daughter was a little girl, we had hired a babysitter to watch her, one of the women from our church, when we got home, she said, well, your daughter, Valerie, sure is a mess. I said, <laughs> she said, I told her to do something, and she just put her hands on her hip and looked at me and said, you're not the boss over me. <laughs> just a little girl. That's kind of what's on the inside of all of us. That anti-authority, and we live, folks, in an anti-authority age. We live in an age where we're resistant against all authority. I've never seen it so bad. We, uh, we, we resist against policemen, and we think the worst of them, against our laws, against government, against the laws of nature themselves, against teachers in our schools and principals. Folks, when I got in trouble at school, my dad always believed the school. I have the scars to prove it. But in our world, we live, the spirit of Antichrist is among us. The spirit that rejects God's authority, rejects Jesus Christ as Lord, rejects God's word as authoritative, and rejects the teaching of the church. We live like they did in the judges. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. We have sown to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. Romans chapter 1, Paul said, The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So Jesus responds to these scribes and Pharisees and he says to them, to these lawyers and Pharisees, I want to ask you one question. And then I'll tell you by what authority I do this. Here's my question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And it was a trap, man. They were stuck. They said, well, if we say from heaven, then he's going to say, then why don't you obey what John the Baptist preached? But if we say from men, the people all love them. They're going to turn on us. And so the cowards that they were said, we don't know. And he said, neither am I going to tell you by what authority I do it. But then he told them this parable. Note, look with me to chapter number 12, beginning with verse number 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. I'm sorry, I'm reading from a, raw, uh, from a different translation, all right? 
Verse number three. Verse number two. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him. Him they killed. And so with... Back up, please. So with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. And finally, he sent to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. As we look at this parable together, I want you to look at the characters in the parable and who they represent, and then what are the great truths about God that are taught in this parable. First of all, notice in the parable of this vineyard and these, re- these uh, rebellious uh, vineyard keepers. Notice the owner. In verse number one, it says, a man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wide press. He built a tower, and he rented it out to vine growers. The background to this is Isaiah chapter number 5. In Isaiah chapter number 5, the great prophet Isaiah says, let me tell you a song concerning my vineyard. And if you, uh, I'll just read part of that, uh, Isaiah 5. He says, let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed the stones, planted it with the choicest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it. He hewed out a vine vat in it. He expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wow. And so they would be familiar with this story in Isaiah, that it was an indictment over Israel, that Israel was the vineyard that God had planted, yet Israel was not producing the fruit of righteousness and faithfulness to God. He had made every provision. So Jesus is taking the background of this And he's saying, just like there was no spiritual life and no faithfulness that brought judgment on the nation of Israel, so this is my indictment against you, religious leaders. The parable is that Jesus is saying that the God is the owner. 
He invested in his vineyard. He planted and created his vineyard for his pleasure. He walled about it. He built a wall to protect it, a hedge about the vineyard so that evildoers and thieves could not get into the vineyard. A security fence, if you will. He dug a vat that, that he, he, he would break into the stone and dig through the earth and make a, a, a vat. And then above it would be where the wine press was. And then they would develop a trough or a pipe that would run down to the vat so that they would press the grapes and the juice of the grapes would run down the pipe and fill, come into the vat. And there they would fill their wineskins with the juice of the pressed grapes. He built a tower in the middle of the vineyard. And what did the tower do? It provided a shelter from the heat for the workers. It was a lookout for thieves or, or someone who would come to do harm. It was also a place to store their equipment and their tools. He made every provision for this vineyard. It was perfectly provided for. It was provided with protection and health, and it was his vineyard. He owned it. And it was valuable. And it was his creation. Can I say something? Listen. You are not here by accident. You are his by creation and redemption. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Secondly, notice the servants, the messengers. In verse number 2 to 5, it says, At harvest time he has sent a slave, a servant, a messenger, to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. And they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent him another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. They sent another, and they killed him. And many others, beating some, killing others. Wow. These servants represented the authority of the owner. And they're requesting produce as agreed as the rent owed to the owner. But they suffer at the hand of these tenant farmers. They're obedient to their master. They've risked their lives for their owner. They're treated shamefully. They, are, they lay down their lives for their owner. They're bringing his word to these worthless renters. And they represent the prophets. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 7, beginning with verse 25, listen close. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I've sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them. And they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck and they did evil more than their fathers. This is the treatment of these prophets. That the prophets have come and pointed people to turn back to God. But they have stiffened their neck. 
They've rebelled against God and his prophets. Nehemiah chapter number 9 verse 26 says, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had, who, who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemy, says in Nehemiah. Notice the patience of the owner. He sends wave after wave of prophets, of servants. The faithfulness of these messengers to go and say, you need to give what is due to the one who built this, who owns this. But they stiffened their neck. They hated. They rebelled. And these were the leaders of Israel. It reminds me of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. He who stiffens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. There's a high price to our rebellion against the holy God. Amen. Next, I want you to notice the tenants, these sharecroppers, these farmers, these vine growers. Listen, they are accountable to work in the vineyard. They've been given this beautiful vineyard that they didn't invest in, they didn't create, and they were given, it handed it over to them. But there's a stewardship, and the stewardship is that they should give produce from what they've from their work and from the vines that have been planted to the one who owns it. It was perfectly planted vineyard. It was they are recipients of this grace. And they've agreed in contract to share the proceeds of the vineyard with the owner. But what's in their heart is greed and rebellion and selfishness. And they become usurpers. They refuse to pay the owner. They reject the owner's authority. They beat his servants, the prophets. They send them away empty-handed. They treat them shamefully. And they murder them. Many servants. Again, and again, and again. But he shows patience toward them. But their attitude was that we're going to take this for ourselves. We're going to live for ourselves. And boy, isn't that the spirit that's in our world today? It's my life. I'll live it how I want to live it. I'll do whatever I want. I'll live how I want to live my life. You have no authority over me. I'm the God of my own life. I hear things like this. It's my body. I'll do with it what I want. And we thumb our nose at God. We flip him off. There's a price. My mother had a way of disciplining us. Some of her ways I wouldn't recommend. I remember one day she told me to do something and it aggravated me. So she turned her back and I stuck my tongue out at her. 
and she turned around and saw it. I thought I was going to chew that tongue off before she got done. Sometimes we're outwardly rebellious like that toward God. Sometimes we're more passively aggressive. We say we're going to obey him, but we won't. But either way, it's rebellion deep in our hearts. Fourth one I see in this is the son. And who is the son? It says that the owner says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son, my beloved son, my only son, and they will respect him. Who is this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. It's the Lord Jesus, the Father's Son. He's sent by the Father like a missionary. They'll respect him. But what did they do? Notice in verse number 6 to 8, it says that they seized him. In verse 6, in verse 7, it says, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. The inheritance will be ours. And they took him, seized him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. They treated him with great disrespect. They murdered him. They threw him out of the garden. They didn't give him any burial, just heave him outside over the fence, let his body rot with complete disrespect. They reject him. That's how they treated him. This is how we treated our Savior. Jesus is predicting the very way that they'll treat, he'll be treated. Notice when Peter is preaching in his second sermon after Pentecost. In chapter number 3 of Acts, in verse number 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. Wow. This spirit of murder is found in all who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and reject him as the Son of God. Kill him, they said. Then the inheritance will be ours. You see, this is what's in them. Premeditation. We're going to kill him. Their motive is greed, so that we'll have what's ours. And this desire, stay with me, to supplant and take his place is in the heart of sinful people. We want to take God's position. But they have made a huge mistake. They think, listen, they think that the owner won't do anything because he's been patient toward them. They think maybe the owner is dead or senile, and that's why he sent his son. They think that if they kill the son, that then it's all going to be theirs. 
They're foolish. And that brings us to the next point of this. The judgment. The righteous wrath of God. Notice with me in verse number 9, he asks a question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He says to the people. Then he answers the question himself. He'll come and destroy the vine growers and give the vineyard to others. Wow. He says judgment's coming. Listen, my friends, listen close. This is not an easy message to preach. Listen. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, so shall he reap. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, but he has some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But if you stiffen your neck and your heart in your heart, and you say, God, I reject you. I reject Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for me. There is a payday coming in your life. This isn't my word, it's God's word. Amen. Look with me in your Bible, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Do you have your Bible? For if we go on, verse 26, look at with it, me at this scripture. Hebrews 10, verse 26, listen closely. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, Though it no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will, uh, he will deserve who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Listen, it is a terrifying thing fall in the hands of a living God. Wow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, we have as our ambition to be pleasing unto him. Then he says, we shall all, all of us, stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, be recompensed for the deeds in our body, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade Men, God is a God of justice and judgment, and there's accountability about how we live our lives before him. Y'all believe this? I know it's easier to hear a sermon about heaven than it is about judgment. But what's heaven makes heaven more sweeter is to know that we're not in judgment. We've passed out of judgment into life. Praise his name. There is a judgment day coming. Revelation chapter number 20. 
you have your Bible, beginning with verse number 11, these aren't my words, it's God's word. And some I feel it already, resistant to authority. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The second death is the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. My friends, there's only one hope for you, and that is in the beloved of the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you reject him and you reject God, you are left in your trespasses and sins, and you fall under the righteous judgment of God. And hell is your destination, not heaven. This is not because God is not righteous or loving. No, he is righteous and holy. And we are unrighteous and we are not deserving. And that's why he sent his son. Because we're all like those vineyard keepers and have rebelled against him. But turn from sin and trust in Jesus and you can be saved. That's the greatest news I know in all the world. Not everybody goes to heaven, folks. There's salvation in no other name but Jesus alone. And this is the conclusion of this great parable that Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 12. There's hope here. Verse 10, have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. And this came about from the Lord. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Wow. <laughs> you see, the one that they rejected, they looked at that stone and they said, that stone's not good enough. That stone's not worthy. That stone we reject. But the very stone they rejected became the cornerstone that God built his people on. That's Jesus. And when he rose again triumphantly out of the grave, defeated death, we looked at him before and we thought he was marred. We thought there was nothing good in him. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we despised and rejected him. But God raised him up and it was a divine reversal. The thing that seemed rejected is now the cornerstone. Woo! That's our Savior, Jesus. 
hallelujah. And it's marvelous. Marvelous in our eyes. Because He is our Savior. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter number two. First Peter chapter number two. In verse number six, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were appointed. Jesus Christ, he is Lord. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number one, Look with me, I think we have it on the screen. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. Now listen, He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he has inherited a more glorious name than any angel or prophet. It's at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What authority? Jesus said, after the, he says after the resurrection, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. He has the most excellent name. He is Lord of creation. He's Lord of all. And he is our Savior. Amen? Amen. Do you know him? Have you trusted in him? Just some truths from this great parable, quickly. Number one, God's good. He's kind. He's generous toward us. His grace has been lavished upon us. He has a plan for us. And he's provided for us. The second lesson that we learn in this parable is we are accountable to him for our lives and our existence. We are stewards. And our life's not ours, but it's his. Number three, God is patient toward us. And he calls us to himself again and again. Number four, 
God sent his most beloved gift of heaven, his own son. But sadly, we have rejected him. Number five, our life and salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Number six, rejecting Jesus, God's Son, leaves us under the righteous, holy judgment of God. Number seven, Jesus is Lord. He's exalted above all. He alone is the way of salvation, and there's no other way but him. Number eight, when you accept Jesus, you become alive, forgiven, united with him. And it's a marvelous and amazing life for us. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, we ask you to have your way in our hearts and our lives today. I thank you for the great truths in this great parable. Father, I pray that we would heed them, obey them. In Jesus' name, amen.